Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 79, produced 7 March, 2021. The world has been living with the COVID-19 pandemic for a year or more now, and in much of the world, both domestic and international travel has been largely non-existent, with entire nations in some form of lockdown or shutdown. For those of us who love to travel, soothing our wanderlust has been a challenge. We read books, watch travel documentaries, do whatever we can to escape. I'm Glenn Moyer, and for those, like myself, longing to see Scotland again, award-winning Scottish travel blogger Kathy Camleitner may be just what the doctor ordered. And her prescription? Her new podcast called Wild for Scotland. That's coming up here under the Tartan Sky. Are you Dot Scott yet? Scott is the domain for the worldwide community of Scots. It became available to the public in late 2014 and is used by the Scottish Government and Parliament, the National Health Service in Scotland and thousands of other organisations and individuals around the globe. Scott doesn't mind where you live or what kind of Scottish connection you have. If you're Scottish by birth, heritage or affinity, or an association that practices and promotes Scottish arts and culture, or a business with some kind of Scottish connection, then Scott is for you. Best of all, it's easy to sign up to. Simply visit domains.scot, choose your domain name, and you're off and running. And, by the way, if you're just looking for a wee blether, our email service will help you do that too. .scot. Be part of it. Scotland has a mystic effect or pull on people that's difficult to describe. I can't tell you how many fellow travelers like myself who've traveled to Scotland and come away saying, I've never felt so at home. I felt like I belonged there. For those millions of us with ancestry in Scotland, perhaps it's an ancestral thing that somehow reaches out to us through the ages. For those born in Scotland, maybe it's even more definable. Scottish comedian Billy Connolly talks of having a string tied to his heart that, despite his now being a citizen of the world, always pulls him back to Scotland. In his book Made in Scotland, he writes not just of his love for his birthplace Glasgow, but for his love of all of Scotland. And then he says, I would love Scotland just as much, even if I didn't come from there. And he adds, there's a beauty and intensity there it is hard to find anywhere else in the world. Kathy Kamleitner may understand that emotion better than many. Born in Austria, in 2013 she moved to Scotland for a year of scholastic study and never left. During her time in Scotland, she's launched a successful travel blog, WatchMeSee.com, where she writes exclusively about Scotland. Like other niche destination bloggers, she also offers herself as a travel consultant and provides itinerary planning services. And she's good at what she does. Cam Leitner was recognized as one of the top 100 women in tourism in 2020 and was previously recognized in 2019 by Young Women in Tourism as Tourism Influencer of the Year, while the National Trust for Scotland magazine called her, quote, a top Scottish blogger to follow, end quote. Now, in part perhaps to assuage her own wanderlust demons, she's launched a new podcast, Wild for Scotland. Yeah, I borrowed the title from her. In her podcast, she intends to take her listeners along on some of her personal journeys, virtually of course, through an immersive storytelling experience, and then provide some practical tips for those who might someday, soon we hope, wish to make a similar trip of their own. Having a blether with Kathy was great fun. I always enjoy making new friends in Scotland on many levels. As we talked, we learned we have a mutual friend in another Scottish travel blogger, Suzanne Arbuckle, of Adventures Around Scotland. 
We also learned that we've shared the experience of visiting Scotland for the first time and falling in love with the country, the people, and its culture. The difference is, as an EU resident, pre-Brexit, Kathy was able to stay and make her home there. I, of course, had to return to the USA. So to begin our chat, I asked her to take me back to the beginning and why a girl from Austria living in Berlin decided to move to Scotland. So I moved to Scotland in 2013 to do a master's degree, a one-year program at the University of Glasgow. Um, the main reason <laughs> is quite funny, actually. Um, I wanted to study in English. I wanted to study abroad. I'm originally from Austria, and at the time I lived in Germany. Um, and I started looking into programs and what they would cost. <laughs> My dream was to study in Canada, but I very quickly realized that there is just absolutely no way that I could ever afford a two-year program for a postgraduate degree in Canada. And so I started looking around and realized that in Scotland at the time when, of course, then uh, the UK was still in the EU, and the fees were actually not too bad. So I decided to apply to university, uh, to various universities in Scotland. I applied all over the place and then got accepted for a program in Glasgow that I was really interested in and moved. I had never been here before. I had this idea in my head of Scotland as a very green country. Obviously, I knew there was mountains and hills, and that's something I love from growing up in Austria and, and going on a many hiking holidays. Um, but I didn't really know what to expect. I rather had people tell me rather negative things, especially about Glasgow, which I learned aren't true. But yeah, I moved here without really knowing much. And then within that first year, realized very quickly that a year is nowhere near enough. I was living in student accommodation, which was fine for the purpose of being a student, but I didn't get the same sense of the city, I think, in, in the same way as I did afterwards, living in different flats all, all over the place. And yeah, within that first year, I decided, right, I need to give this longer. I need to give Glasgow more kind of of my time and my attention and I need to try it for a little bit longer and luckily as an EU citizen that was no problem at all for me to stay here longer. Were you already a travel blogger when you moved to Scotland or is that something that began there? What sort of writing had you been doing at the time that you decided to, to move and study in Scotland? I had always been writing. I think ever since I was a little child I wrote stacks and stacks of notebooks about animals, about my trips with my parents, about any kind of subject and topic that interested me as a child. And then when blogging kind of became a thing, I had I probably started a new blogspot blog once a year. Uh, as soon as I got bored with a topic, I would do something different <laughs> and, and start a new kind of site, but never professionally. It was always, you know, just for myself mostly. And then when I lived in Berlin, I got involved with a travel online travel magazine for and by women. It was an all-female writers team, and we covered destinations all over the world. And I was very fortunate on being invited on press trips and, and fam trips to many different countries um, right from the get-go. And so when I moved to Scotland, I was still a member of that team of writers so yes, I had been blogging, but I hadn't been, I didn't have my own website, if that makes sense. I didn't have my own kind of blog and, and focus the way I do now. So you're literally then one of the many, probably thousands, maybe millions um, of people who have come to the blogging world, have become writers, published writers in essence, really through social media. You, you didn't, I gather, train in, uh, in journalism and, and writing or any of that sort of thing initially. Um, it's something that grew out of what was just a personal interest. Yeah, I didn't train initially. I did, my master's in Glasgow was in film journalism. So I do have some journalistic training. And I do think that that's even just, you know, that's a big impact on the way I work and my ethics as a writer and in the way I kind of choose my topics and, and build relationships. So I do think that that's a huge help. But initially, I didn't have any training. And I don't think it's necessarily the, you know, it's not necessary for a blogger to have journalistic training, as long as they kind of dig into that world a little bit. 
with some interest and an open mind. You mentioned your interest in film and photography, of course, is another almost a prerequisite for anyone who wants to be a blogger. You need to be able to uh, take and publish photographs. And in many cases, uh, there today, of course, is the term vlogger, uh, a video blogger, if you will. Uh, So where did that interest come along in your lifetime? Was photography a hobby that began from your travels as a family uh, when you were young? Is it something you've developed since then? How did you uh, get into and and develop your interest in film and photography? I think photography has been a huge interest for me and passed down, so to say, from my dad. He had these old film cameras back in the day when when I was a little child. And every time we went on holiday, we often went to Greece. Um, And before the Yugoslavian wars in the 80s, my parents would drive all the way from Austria to Greece for a four-week summer holiday, which is, I can't even imagine that nowadays. And so my dad would always take pictures of everything. And then when we came home, he would create these uh, image shows the the dia is it called dia in in english as well i'm actually not sure um he would create these image shows that we could display on the wall and to travel back through our experiences and i think that stuck with me that idea of not only taking pictures but really doing something with them and using them as a way to draw on your memories from from trips and holidays and over the years you know i I kind of dipped in and out of photography. And then when I was finishing high school, my parents, for my graduation, they bought me a DSLR camera and we went on a trip. And I think in that week, I took about 5,000 photos just figuring (laughs) out all of the different, you know, all the features and all the the settings. Um, So I'm completely self-trained. I've now kind of went away a little bit more from the DSLRs and, and used something a bit more compact, which is easier to handle when I travel and, and with video as well. But it has always been interesting. And what is really cool is obviously having a smartphone now and being able to take amazing pictures on the go without much skill, so to say, um, just an eye for what's interesting and, and good composition and such things. Um, so, yeah, I've kind of transitioned from more high tech to now being a bit more spontaneous with my photography. How long were you in Scotland before you decided to start doing a dedicated blog, uh, which is, for those who are interested, watch me see, um, about Scotland? So that took me surprisingly about three years. So I started watch me see, I had the domain before and I thought I would use it more as a photography portfolio. And then in 2016, I decided to really dedicate it as a travel blog and then very quickly decided to only or almost only write about Scotland on it and it was really inspired by and I have to thank my former editor at at the other online travel website I was writing for for the inspiration because I kept like I said we we covered destinations around the world and I went on on press trips and, and such things but then I started a PhD at Glasgow University and and couldn't travel as much abroad anymore um, and travelled a lot more within Scotland, which I had done, you know, living in Scotland anyways, but I started writing more about it as well. And she kept saying to me, Kathy, you need to write about other destinations too. You can't just write about Scotland all the time. <laughs> and so I said, well, actually, I think I can. And um, I stayed with, with the travel magazine as well. I stayed with them for a couple of years afterwards, but I did start my own website and my own Scotland blog with that inspiration in mind. Well, I want to play a little game of word association with you because you've been writing the blog now for a few years. You've been recognized with all sorts of awards, one of the top 100 women in tourism in Scotland and a tourism influencer, et cetera, et cetera. And we're gonna, I want to get into the, the travel planning that you now offer as well. Not just You're not just a blogger. But let's play a little word association if you don't mind. I'm going to give you a word, a Scottish-themed word. And I'm going to play on your experience as a blogger and as a travel planner and tell me the first place you would recommend for someone to visit in Scotland if they wanted to find these things. I think this will be simple. Uh, we'll see. Okay. 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 So, okay. You had me a little nervous there, but I think I can manage. <laughs> well, I'd put you on the spot and test your expertise here. So, okay. First word, whiskey. Isla. 
and why? Definitely, definitely Isla. Well, you've got a tiny island with, well, a fairly small island, and there are nine, and I think soon-ish, more than nine whiskey distilleries on the island. And even though Isla is known for its peaty whiskies, really smoky, heavy whiskies, there are other kinds of whiskies produced on the island and unpeated whiskies too. So you do get a variety of tastes. And it's just drinking whiskey on Isla is more fun than drinking whiskey anywhere else in the world. Okay. Um, second word, puffins. The Isle of Staffa and Lunga. So the Treshnish Isles, that's off the coast of Mull. Although there are many places to visit and see puffins. Um, I love the Isle of Lunga particularly because there are it's uninhabited and it's just in this absolute stunning setting surrounded by the Isle of Mull and Iona and then further in the distance, Colin Tyree. Um, and yeah, it's just a stunning place and the puffins are adorable. Okay, next word is tartan. Oh. Oh. Um, I would say, right, I might get this a bit wrong, but I would go to the Isle of Harris and really look into the tartan, uh, the Harris tweed, um, learn where that is produced and, and handmade still until today with very old techniques. And I'm sure that they weave tartan different tartans as well. So um, I think that would be a good place to go and learn how it's made and also what it stands for. Okay. And I'm going to suggest, if you don't already know about Claire Campbell and her company, uh, Prickly Thistle, uh, she does bespoke tartan and has her own, has set up a pop-up mill uh, just off the Black Isle up uh, near uh, Invergordon. And oh, nice. Um, so that may be a place for you to, to visit at future point. I know you have an interest in feminism and in strong uh, female leaders and business people. So Claire's a uh, probably an association that you should make. So, but uh, yeah, but uh, Harris Tweed also excellent. I just I had uh, did a podcast with the Harris Tweed Association not long ago. So I'll, I'll give you a half point on that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was a right answer. <laughs> well, okay, let's see. Hill walking. I will send you to Glencoe. It's my favorite place in the Scottish Highlands, or one of my favorite places, one of those places that stole my heart when I moved to Scotland very early on, one of the first places I visited. And there's hikes for any ability. There are simple walks that are walks that are on paved kind of paths around beautiful lochs so they're fully accessible even if you if you have your kids in a pram or or whatever it is but there's Monroe's there's places where you can hike to and wild camp there's some crazy routes you can do if you really want to challenge yourself and some more simple peaks that you can reach in two or three hours and still get a fantastic view of the highlands so Glencoe hands down my favorite hill walking place. Okay, and last one is seafood. Ooh, I actually don't eat seafood. Oh, I forgot. Um, you are vegan, and I apologize yes, for that. I so, I, Well, I, I wasn't vegan when I moved to Scotland, so it doesn't matter. It's fine. <laughs> but I would go to Oban, um, and that's where I usually send anyone who asks me about seafood as well. Is that I always say, I don't eat it myself, but Oban is fantastic because you get really fresh fish there's several fish restaurants that have a very good reputation but you also if you want something a bit more low-key over the summer you get all the fishermen coming in during the day or in the evenings and um, there's small food booths or small tents around the harbor and the, the ferry port where they make you fresh seafood um, right there on the spot and it's very low-key there's no seating or anything like that. You just get your seafood in the plate on the go and you can eat it by the harbor with a view of the sea. Very good. Well, I'll give you certainly a passing grade on that. So um, <laughs> didn't mean to put you on the spot. just thought we'd have some fun. Obviously, as a travel blogger, as you've just indicated with the knowledge of your answering those uh, top of the head questions, you've traveled all around Scotland. I saw on your website, I think 3,000 miles or so across Scotland in just one year recently. In all of your travels across Scotland, what would you say has been your most unusual, most unexpected find? Oh, I need a little think. 
think one of the most unusual or surprising things, and now it might not be as surprising anymore, but at the time it really was, was realizing how stunning the beaches are and how they look like nothing like you would imagine a beach in the North, you know, on the North Sea or, or in the Northern Atlantic. The fact that there's sand that is so white, you think you're in the Caribbean. Some islands and places on the West Coast, you even get palm trees. Maybe not, you know, the kind of palm trees you would get in the Caribbean, but um, still. And the crystal clear water and just how tropical it looks but it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> um, I think that was one of the things that surprised me the most. And every time I do visit an, uh, a beach, especially up on the northwest coast and some of the islands, I'm just blown away and actually have to remind myself that I'm still in Scotland. Okay, so maybe this is an easier question. In, in all of your travels, what is your favorite place in Scotland? <laughs> well, aside from Glencoe, which I think is is definitely top of my list. Um, I really love Stonehaven on the East Coast, um, which people might not, maybe not know the, the town, but they might know more likely Dunotto Castle, which is a castle ruin just outside of Stonehaven. And it was actually the last trip I did before lockdown last year. Um, last spring, I spent a few days in Stonehaven and it is one of my favorite places in all of Scotland and the whole surrounding area, Aberdeenshire is so worth a visit um, spending there several days would be ideal in my in my eyes if not a week exploring all the castles and the seaside towns beautiful beaches Aberdeen is, is a thriving place and, and such a fun city to visit as well um, and you can easily do all that from Stonehaven whether you come with a car or go by train because it's so well connected by public transport as well so I think, yeah, that's probably one of my favorite places and favorite regions in all of Scotland. Well, I'm glad to hear that because Aberdeenshire would have been my, what would have been my sixth trip to Scotland this past year prior to the pandemic. And Aberdeenshire was going to be my base. So um, certainly I'll have to check with you when I get ready to plan that trip, which is a nice segue into another segment of the many things that you're involved in. You're not just a travel blogger. You just don't write about Scotland. You also offer travel planning services to people like myself or anyone else who might be planning to visit Scotland um, in terms of itinerary planning, making recommendations on places to see, how to, how to get there, where to stay in those regions. You offer accommodation recommendations, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm a little curious, which came first? Did you start the blog and the itinerary, the travel planning, grow out of that? Or was the travel planning an idea that led to or helped to facilitate your starting the blog? The trip planning and itinerary planning really grew out of the blog. Um, I started the blog as a hobby, um, not as a business. I didn't really realize that you could turn that into a full-time career back then, even though I had been writing for, for other websites before. And then over the years, I just, you know, as it is with a blog, and when when you when you write about a specific region even more so, people have a lot of questions, um, and you are able to provide a lot of detailed uh, detailed answers and, and advice. And so over the years, I've built up so much knowledge and so much more than I could have ever shared on the blog in a very personalized and customized way that I decided to start offering itinerary planning and what I really love about it is that I work with people from all around the world and they plan trips of all sorts, whether it's uh, heritage travel or to, to, you know, to follow their family ancestry and their roots. Um, honeymoons are some of my favorite ones to, to plan or support on. Family trips, solo adventures, hiking vacations, anything really. I, I, I work with a lot of people on a lot of trips. And what I like is that People want to travel independently. They want that satisfaction almost of, of traveling on their own and making these decisions themselves and having full control over what's happening on their holiday. They don't want to buy a package trip by a travel agent where someone else is taking care of absolutely everything for them. Some people want that, of course, but, but many of my clients, they want that feeling of being really involved in everything themselves. 
But it's intimidating and it's overwhelming to sort out all of those logistics, especially when it's maybe your first trip to Scotland or overseas. And what often happens when clients come to me is that their bucket lists or their wish lists are so long that they could easily spend five to six weeks here. <laughs> and I kind of have to rein them in and, and um, help them fine tune and really figure out what it is that is important to them, what experiences they want to have and what kind of trip they want to to have in Scotland and what impressions they want to see. Um, and then kind of fine tune that list and figure out a way for them that makes it all more logical and just feasible for them. So they end up with a plan that they simply have to follow or with options where they can decide on the day what they want to do, what they feel like. And they get that support without having the feeling of independence taken away from them. And that's what I really love about what I offer. Yeah, I, um, I I travel solo and I do this. I tend to travel, like I just mentioned, when my target, my next target would have been Aberdeenshire. And, and I'll find typically a self-catering accommodation I can stay in. And I base in one region of Scotland and then I do day trips out and about in different directions to see as many things as I can. But I was chuckling at your comment because I've seen in so many different Facebook groups that I'm a member of about Scotland, you know, and someone says, oh, we're going to Scotland. I've got three days and I want to see Edinburgh. I want to see Skye. I want to go to Orkney. I want to go. You know, and it's just <laughs> yeah. like you know, stop, time out, start over. You can't do it all in just a couple of yeah. days. You, you could spend months there. I mean, I've made five trips so far, spent six or seven weeks total in Scotland, and there's still so much I haven't even begun to scratch the surface of things to see. And, and, I, and I laughed when you, when you mentioned the people with a bucket list and they have all these things they want to accomplish and very limited time to do it in. I've been here for seven and a half years and I have come nowhere closer to the end of any list. It's just going longer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I can imagine that it must be difficult to, like you say, to rein folks in and to um, it is. and target them. And yet I agree with you because I don't like a package where you get on a bus and, you know, and from 10 until 11 in the morning, you're at this spot and then you're going to travel and have lunch here. And I like to get my own car and just drive. And if I see something that piques my interest, I can stop and spend as much time as I want seeing that. I can remember um, one of my early trips, I just made a drive to the West Coast one day down to the Southwest coast of Scotland and came across ruins of an old abbey. And it was closed because of the time of year that I was visiting, but I was still able to just go to the car park, get out and walk around the exterior of the place and take some photos and whatnot. And in a package tour, if that had not been on the stop, all I could have done was go as we drove by, go, oh, wow, I'd like to see that sometime, but never have the opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have been on guided tours and they can be great. And sure. certain things, they, they, you know, they, they offer a lot of things. I remember I went on a guided tour to Isla, for example, and it was brilliant because I didn't have to drive. <laughs> I could just enjoy all the whiskey in the distilleries and someone else had to stay sober and do the driving. That was fantastic. But yeah, like you say, it's it's that element of being able to just explore and follow your nose and discover things that you might have not known were even there. Um, too many people kind of come here, I think, with only the list of the most popular and famous places. Yes. And they have an itinerary planned. And my itinerary might not be such a different route, but it will have different elements and different stops suggested because... There is so much goodness everywhere. It's not only in the most famous sites. Yeah, I think that's very true is that people tend to go and, and they want to see what they've what they've already seen on YouTube, et cetera. You know, they'll, they'll go to Edinburgh and say, well, I want to see Edinburgh Castle. Well, there's a whole lot more to see in, in the city of Edinburgh than just Edinburgh Castle. And, you know, the more people you know or the contacts you can make there, the more little out-of-the-way interesting whiskey shops and pubs and, you know, artist corners and those kinds of things that you can find that if you just look at the, the popular tour guides, you're probably not going to learn about those things. It's interesting that you're in that business because I've been curious at the evolution of the role of the travel blogger uh, into what you're doing, travel planning. When I made my first trip to Scotland back in 2014, I had a, a good friend who was a travel agent, and I called her and started talking with her. And then the more I explored things, 
the more I realized it's hard to find travel agents these days. You know, used to you'd go into the go down to the high street and there'd be a travel agency. You'd go in and say, "Well, I want to go to Scotland or Austria or Germany," and they'd hand you a, a handful of brochures and a couple of planned itineraries, and you could pick either you know mm. A, B, or C, uh, and that was kind of the limit of it. And now there are people like yourself, travel bloggers who are itinerary planners that can really develop bespoke travel recommendations for persons like myself based on what it is that I want to go see. I have a friend who's very similar business to you that I went to visit in Orkney. And, and I said, well, you know, I'm coming to Orkney. I want to see everything. She said, well, what do you want to see? And she really, like you were saying, tried to narrow me down to what are my interests? What's really important that I want to be sure and see so that I didn't miss any of the highlights? And then recommending related perhaps lesser known things that I would probably enjoy based off of my interest. I, and I guess the question in all of this is, are travel bloggers like yourself really now more or less sort of the, the modern version of a travel agent? Can I ask you something before I get to that? Was that Suzanne? Yes, it was. Uh, amazing. Uh, Suzanne is so lovely. She showed me around Butte when she still lived on Butte. Um, a few years ago and took me to a beach to wild camp near seals. That was fantastic. She's, she's such a, well, such a sweetheart. She I is. Really and that's interesting because Suzanne and I met when she still lived on Butte and she did the same thing for me on my nice. first, first trip to Scotland. She uh, invited me for a day tour of uh, Butte on her day off. And she was just starting her blog at that time. And, right. um, and we became, and I had just started my own blog, which I don't really do anymore. It kind of evolved into this podcast. Um, but yes, she is such a darling and, and a sweet, sweet lady. Um, we've become very dear friends. And so she showed me around Butte and then, yeah, I took advantage of her when I went to Orkney and she played host and guide to me up there. Um, oh, so that's, that's the answer to the question you asked me now, now give me my answer. <laughs> yes. Um, I think it's interesting to think about blogger as a kind of modern day travel agent. I think what is so amazing about what, without tooting my own horn too much, but things like what I offer and what so many other, you know, destination niche bloggers offer as well, is that local expertise. We're not trying to pretend like we're experts in five different countries around the world. Um, we know the country that we write about really, really well, and we can give the best advice for that specific destination. And you're not getting some, you know, you don't get secondhand knowledge from me. It's not like I go and do the research or I've been taught the things I know about Scotland by uh, a handbook or something like that, right? You really or get that first-hand experience. Yeah, or a travel agent who, who makes, as you were saying, a, a media trip and stays in one hotel in yeah. one city and sees one attraction, and that's your that's the package they sell from there on if you want to go to you know Timbuktu or wherever it may be. Exactly, and I think that's the big difference, particularly with trip planning that is offered by niche bloggers who, who really focus on a specific destination or a region um, you know, around the world. But even there's a lot of travel bloggers who offer this, who write about different destinations and kind of global travel, and they still offer this. And I think what what is what is so special about that is that it's so relatable. And even if they might not be experts about every single destination, they are experts on traveling and figuring out the logistics and things like that. It's, it's very often that is the most intimidating thing for people is to go to a country that they don't know and figuring out how what the traffic situation is like and where to get essentials. Um, it sounds so simple, but those kinds of things, when you have that sort of knowledge and that confidence to, to find these things, it just makes your whole travel experience so much more relaxed because you don't feel like you're at the mercy, so to say, of, of uh, thinking on your feet all of the time. And I think it's, it's, it's that that makes travel bloggers so well suited to do that kind of work, to do both itinerary planning, but also just general kind of travel planning and travel consultation almost to, to prepare people for what it's like to be on the road. 
Well, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And, and I think it's been interesting to see that evolution in travel bloggers from just people who started writing about a place they liked as a hobby uh, to then turning it into a career and, in your case, turning it into a multifaceted career. I mean, you're not just a blogger. Um, from the research I've done about you and the little time we've, we've been coming to know each other, my gosh, you're a one-woman multimedia conglomerate. I mean, you, <laughs> you have your blog, you have a Facebook group, you have an Etsy shop selling your photos and various related products. You've written your own guidebooks. Um, and now, and the reason really for, for us chatting today, you've launched a podcast you, you've become my competition. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, but you've launched this this podcast called Wild for Scotland. So with everything else that you've been doing and doing successfully, why a podcast? Mm. Um, first of all, I hope I'm not going to be your competition. I think no. we're, there's plenty of space and we're offering something very, very different. And I'm quite um, you know, I, I love interview shows like like your your own podcast. So there's no way I'm gonna ever be any good at that. So I'm hoping to do something very very different. No, I I um, agree, and I, I welcome you wholeheartedly to the to the world of Scottish <laughs> podcasters. You know that. Thank you. Um. So the reason for the podcast is very much inspired by what we have been all going through in the last year, not being able to travel. It sounds like such a mundane thing, and in many ways it is. You know, it's a it's a luxurious problem to have um, because traveling, being able to travel itself, is is a lux- luxury that not everybody can can do. Um, but on the other hand, for me, not being able to do my job, seeing the tourism industry, not just in Scotland but anywhere, everywhere, really, on its knees. And also speaking to so many people who have had to cancel or postpone their trips, I realized more than ever before how traveling isn't just a mundane thing. It's something that lifts your spirits and can change the way you view the world. It's a bit cliche, but I do actually believe that when you travel with intention and purpose, that it can change the way you experience the world. And that is so important and I think we see that more and more, that how important it is that people expand their horizons to other countries and other places to live and, and other cultures. So not being able to do all of this has been really, really difficult for me on a variety of levels. And speaking to people, I know it's been difficult for many others too. And the podcast for me is a way... My blog and everything I offer with my blog is very much tied to travel plans. Um, and is only going to be really that useful when you know you've got a trip coming up and you want information or practical advice or um, inspiration for your trip. But when you can't travel, that can almost have a negative effect. To to plan a trip when you can't travel isn't quite as much fun as when you can. And so the podcast is a way to listen to travel stories, listen to stories from Scotland, and almost kind of lean back, close your eyes, and just imagine that you're there. It's a storytelling podcast. It's very immersive, first-person narration. And I take you with me on different adventures and trips around Scotland and really want you to feel like you're there with me, regardless of whether you have a trip coming up or not. And I think that's the big difference. And that's why I'm so happy to launch this podcast, because it offers something that I can't offer with any of my other content or my website or on social media in quite the same way, that immersive experience of connecting with Scotland. You've sort of jumped right into my next question, and and that was going to be my comment was going to be, you know, you can find a podcast nowadays on every corner. It seems like everyone uh, some days has a podcast. So I was going to ask, what makes yours unique and why should people listen? Yeah, I think my podcast is different because it isn't about having interviews or um, conveying facts or or researching specific topics, even though all of that kind of plays into it as well. And you learn a lot when you listen to my podcast, but it is about storytelling. And that's something I, I'm very passionate about and something that on the blog doesn't always have the same space um, and the same kind of uh, opportunities to tell creative stories in, in the same way. The podcast is very immersive. It's very much about 
relaxing and dreaming about Scotland from afar. And in the first season, I'm taking you on different journeys to different islands around Scotland. So you might be familiar with some of them, but many of them are actually more off the beaten track and you get to visit these islands with me in every episode. And then after the story, there's always a small bit with practical information as well. I can't help myself. I'm a travel blogger. After all, <laughs> there's a few practical tips, tips in every episode too. But the majority of the episode is an immersive travel story. And I think there's, there's many podcasts out there, like you said. There's a lot of Scotland podcasts as well. But nothing that is quite as immersive and about storytelling um, that kind of takes you away in the same way like mine. And I have to say kudos to you for that. I um, I listened to your first episode uh, that just debuted, and I came away from it absolutely saying, ooh, after I go to Aberdeenshire, which is already on my list, I've got to do some island hopping to see puffins. And that led to my earlier question. We were playing wordplay about the puffin because uh, Staffa and Longa are now on my list so that I can go see puffins. I love puffins. Uh, I had hoped to see some during my week on Orkney, but I was there at the wrong time of the year. And so listening to your first episode absolutely instilled in me the, the beauty of making a trip like that and gave me an idea of some places I'd like to go and see. And so when I get to plan a Glen in Scotland number seven, the islands and island hopping will probably be high on the list, and I'll be returning to that episode, I'm sure, for not only some inspiration, but also some of those those practical tips. So well done, you. It was a great first episode, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to hearing more uh, of your adventures. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Is the podcast, and I don't mean this to sound the way it's probably going to sound, is it just a way of a, a different way for you to share what you've already written and blogged about, or will you be creating eventually, I know you can't now because of travel, but will you eventually be creating essentially new content or is the podcast a way to take even your blogging content and present it in a new light to a new audience? Um, some of the episodes are based on trips that I've written about on my blog as well. Although there might be stories in them that I've never told in that way um, or maybe I've told them on social media but never in written form on on the website um, there are also some episodes that I haven't written about so I'm, I'm going to some islands that I've not written about or not extensively at least so there are some new stories in there as well and new destinations and for the future um, I'm, I'm a workaholic I'm already thinking about season two <laughs> I'm already thinking about season three and also already thinking about how I can work hopefully with different Scottish organizations to maybe highlight some more places that are off the beaten track or um, just not so well known to people. So definitely it's going to be, I'm in it for the long run. And I hope that obviously once we can travel again, I will be creating more creative travel stories as we go along. I won't stop my website, but I think I'm quite enjoying being able to write more creatively and I'm enjoying the audio, you know, the audio medium as well. So um, I might be podcasting a bit more than blogging in the next few years. I know how that can happen. This this show actually evolved from, you know, on my first trip, your friends and family want to know, oh, well, tell us all about what you're doing, what you're seeing. And I didn't know much about blogging back in the day in 2014. And I thought, well, the easiest way is to post it all in one place. And I thought, I know, I'll create a blog. And I did. And I really enjoyed it. I found great enjoyment in writing creativity, uh, creatively, as you said, and about a place that I was falling in love with, that being Scotland. And I wanted to continue, but after that trip, you know, eventually you ran out of material to write about, and it's hard to write a travel blog when you're not traveling. And at that point, I didn't know if I would ever be going back to Scotland or not. Fortunately, now, um, until the pandemic set in, I've been able to visit Scotland every summer. But I also had a background in radio and television, and when I decided that I had no more I could write about, I thought, well, I want to keep doing this, but how? And I thought, I know, you know, as a podcaster, I can interview anyone and everyone about anything about Scotland anytime I want and share it that way. And I don't have to be the expert. I don't have to have gone there, been there, done that. Um, I can just simply, I need to know enough and research enough to write 
to ask the right questions. And uh, so that's how, you know, my podcast literally evolved from my blog. So uh, a word of caution, it, it can get under your skin and, <laughs> and maybe change your career focus. <laughs> Well, to be honest, I don't mind that at all. I'm, I'm, I'm very flexible. I'm, I love kind of trying new things. Well, I can tell you, you're off to an excellent start, and I'm looking forward to. Uh, I've subscribed and looking forward to many more episodes to come, and I'm sure I'll get some inspiration for my future trips. I want to get serious again for just a moment because you touched on it in an earlier comment with travel having been suspended during the pandemic uh, and for who knows how much longer we keep thinking we're getting closer to back to normal, whatever that's going to be in the future and that travel will be restored, international travel especially, but it hasn't yet. And you're keenly involved in the travel and hospitality industry there in Scotland. What impact have you seen on the travel and hospitality industry in Scotland during these times? And what do you expect to see when hopefully some sort of normality is restored and we're able to, people like myself are able to return and, and begin to travel to Scotland again? Mm. I mean, it has been absolutely devastating to the entire industry. And I don't mean to say that in any way, suggesting that, you know, it wasn't necessary. I do very much believe that locking down and, and you know, to that extent, it was done here in Scotland or is still being done in Scotland is absolutely necessary. But it has been absolutely devastating. And so many of the small businesses that I've worked with in the past and who I'm connected with and I talk to, and also some of the organizations. Um, I'm a member of Wild Scotland, which is an, uh, an organization for adventure tourism and wildlife tourism uh, companies in Scotland. And from what I can tell, and from speaking to people, it's been horrible. And help has come, but not enough and not to everybody. And I, I'm, I'm worried about what happens when we can reopen, how many businesses will not be able to reopen. Um, and I also think that what we'll see initially is that some might be able to welcome guests again, but others won't, um, depending on where they are and what kinds of experiences they offer. Um, also, depending on what you know, who their regular customers would be, um, there's a lot of businesses in Scotland that have primarily overseas uh, customers and clients, um, like myself as well. I primarily I'd work with people from around the world, but I primarily work with people from the US and Canada. And being able to pivot to a, a domestic market is just not as simple as it sometimes sounds like. And being able to cater that offering and those services to British travellers and, and Scottish travellers isn't, isn't always quite as easy. And I think that's something a lot of businesses have been struggling with is how to change or, or amend what they offer to be as attractive to Scottish and British travellers as they are to international visitors. That's a, that's a big, big hurdle for many businesses. Um, I do think that once we can reopen... It will be fantastic because, well, we've all been waiting for it for so long. And I think people are so eager to come back to Scotland. And that's something that I felt throughout the entire year is that I, I'm not worried about, you know, nobody wanting to travel again when, when we can again. Um, and I think that what we all have to brace ourselves for is almost a bit of too much attention. <laughs> uh, you know when the when when it can start again um so that will be interesting i think initially how how we're going to manage um especially with limited capacities and and things like that and potentially fewer businesses open but yeah it's been it's been a tough year but what i really loved experiencing and being a part of is very strong networks across the entire country tourism businesses working together and even if it's just for an emotional or mental support um, actually having that feeling of we're all in it together in a way and yes there's those that will cover you know will will be able to um, deal with it in a better way than others or or can recover easier than others but it, there is a strong sense for a togetherness, I think. And that's been really beautiful to experience as a member of the industry. 
So with all of your vast experience as a blogger, as a, a travel planner, as a resident of Scotland now and for these past few years and uh, as a new podcaster now, why should someone have a visit to Scotland on their bucket list? If they've never been before, why should it be on their list of places to travel when we can travel again? That's an easy question to answer. Um, because the Scottish people are some of the best people you can ever meet around the world. Um, they do have a reputation for being extremely friendly. Hospitality is something that is valued very highly in Scotland. Um, but they're also some of the most welcoming and down-to-earth people I've ever met. They're proud of their country in a way that is infectious, as bad as a word that is at the moment. <laughs> um, it really, you can't resist it, I think, when you meet Scottish people, when you hear locals talking about their country, um, when you see what, you know, what the country looks like around around the place and and what how different people are around the country, yet they all share this kind of same sense of welcoming hospitality. It's just brilliant. Um, I love the people of Scotland and they've made me feel so welcome as a visitor and as a resident, as an entrepreneur. Um, and I can only I can only imagine what it would be like to come here again for the very first time and do it all over again. It would be fantastic. My thanks to my guest, Kathy Kamleitner, for sharing this time with us to discuss her blog, her travel services, and of course, her new podcast, Wild for Scotland. Like this show, you can find Wild for Scotland on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most anywhere you enjoy listening to podcasts. For a link to Kathy's blog and more about her, just check our show notes on the website at www.underthetartansky.scot. I started this show talking about the attraction, the pull that Scotland has on people. Kathy said it in simple terms that Scotland is infectious. She's right, of course. And thankfully, we can all agree that no vaccine is needed. In a quick program note, schedules and internet connectivity issues have forced me to reschedule a couple of shows previously announced. One's about online whiskey tastings and searching for gold in Scotland. I still hope to bring those to you, but at a later date. Also, still on the calendar, hopefully in time for Tartan Day next month, is a chat with a Scottish artisan who works with Tartan, but in the most unusual medium of glass. Remember, reviews on your favorite listening platform are always welcomed, and your support on our coffee site, that's ko-fi.com forward slash tartansky, is most graciously appreciated. Or just look for the bright pink button on our podcast episodes page on the website. Until next time, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapaleb Agus Alpha Gubra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter where our username is at underscore Tartan Sky. That's the underscore symbol Tartan Sky. And thank you for listening.